The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week, as every week, we are working our hardest to give you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate uh, investing business. I'm sorry, this microphone in front of me keeps moving all by itself, keeps falling down. I think there's like maybe a, if I had a screwdriver, I'm a rehabber, I can, I can make this work. Ah, coins work apparently too. Excellent. Um, so we're going to talk about something today that is not a real estate strategy per se, but it is super duper important to real estate and it doesn't get talked about very often. And except in kind of this, um, I don't know. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a truism sort of way. Like I hear people talk about all the time that, um, you know, real, real estate investing is a relationship business. But if you really pin most people down on that and say, well, like, what do you mean by that? They say, well, you know, you got to have a team, you got to have a banker and you got to have a realtor and you got to have a, a rehabber. And that is a small part of the, whole picture and it's the whole picture we are going to talk about today and we're going to talk about that with one of the most successful relationship builders in the real estate investing business his name is Pete Fortunato and if this is the first time you're hearing that name I strongly suggest you google this man because he has been doing real estate literally since before I was born and very famous for the creative deals he puts together, and we're not necessarily here talking about creative like subject to and owner financing, although that's part of it as well. He's done this because he understood very early on the power of relationships. He is joining us from his stormy, stormy home in Madeira Beach, Florida. Pete, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hey, Vina, I'm pretty impressed with the fact that the second I call, the thunder stops. <laughs> okay, would you please tell Bill Cook that I have the power to stop thunderstorms in Florida as well as to start them? Because he has a theory that I will that be happy to. it only storms in Florida when I'm there. But see, you got on the phone with me and boom, thunder and lightning disappeared. Um, so appreciate you being on today and... Um, I really am hoping that in the next hour-ish, we can get particularly newer investors and particularly investors who are very transactional, meaning that it's all about 
It is all about this deal. How do I make the most money out of this deal right now? And then I can move on to my next deal to understand the depth of what it is you usually take two or three days to teach. <laughs> so big, big order here. Um, can you just start by talking about the difference between what you say, what you mean when you say it's about relationships versus what everybody else says when they mean, no, it's about having, you know, your contractors in place. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's start with this Monday. I closed a $150,000 loan from one of my tenants who called me and had me come over and see her and, she had $180,000 in the bank getting one-tenth of 1%, and she wanted me to give her more than that. And she thought because I was in real estate, I probably could. Well, that happened because I've known her for 30 years. She's been my tenant for the last decade. We talk about real estate. She trusts me. I trust her. I care about her. And so I just borrowed $150,000 and closed on Monday <clears throat> from a lady I've known for a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. If I had simply bought a house from her way back when and never talked to her again, I would have missed the opportunity to rent to her and have a great tenant. And I would have missed the opportunity to borrow money from her and use that money uh, to refinance a property and fund uh, a 1031 exchange that one of my kids was doing into uh, a much nicer property than the one they were giving up, which they were able to make that deal because of the access to additional cash. You've known her for 30 years. Nope. Did you? Say- I've known her for more than 30 years, yes. And it's because she's been your tenant for 30 years? Is that what you said? No, no, no. I bought a house from her. Um, I once traded her a car for a lawnmower. Um, And I've rented to her for the last 10 years. Okay. So was she like a family friend back when you first bought this first house from her? She was was just... She 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 was a person with a house, and I was a person who wanted a house. And uh, she had a great big three-bedroom, two-bath house on on a double lot. Of course, they centered the house on the lot, so you didn't have two usable lots. But you had a great big lot to uh, take care of. And so she was at that point in her life when she needed uh, less house and more income. And so I traded her my promise to send her money every month for her house. And I kept that promise. And then years later, um, I happened to have a waterfront condo, which she liked. And so I rented it to her, and she's been renting from me. And then uh, six weeks ago, she called and said, you know, I've got money in the bank, and uh, I'd like to lend it to you. Well, I get asked that all the time how do I borrow money from people? And I've never borrowed money from people that I didn't. Well, I can't say that. In almost all cases, I have started out by buying a house from people, giving purchase money in exchange for 
the house or trading a promise for a house, keeping my promise. And then as people have seen that I keep my promise and the, the checks arrive as they were promised, those people have become lenders in the event that I needed or wanted to use cash to make a deal. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to drill into this in a way that you are probably not used to thinking about because this is just the way you've lived your life all of these years, but you do. Yeah, un- Cause no one believes that I ever, that they ever had a tenant who had any money or that would ever trust the landlord. <laughs> it, well, and you realize that out in, out in the, out in the bigger real estate investing world, the way that transaction would have gone for most people is they would have met the seller at the closing and then they would have gone ahead and sent a check every month, just like they were supposed to, but they never would have talked to that seller again until they needed a release on the mortgage. It would have been 20 right, years later. Amazing. Yeah. I, I, I see that and hear that all the time. And yet it seems like you, you didn't just do that. You actually kept in touch with her. These people are friends. See, I'm a capitalist. And a capitalist always gives better than they take. So people are happy when I give them something they like more than what they gave me. When I make a friend, I stay in touch with that friend. I say, how's it working out? What's going on in your life? I ask for help, and I help. And as a result of that, we do business again and again and again. Uh, since the beginning of 2020, I've made a big effort to sacrifice amortization in exchange for more cash flow and more safety with my houses. And so that meant going back to people I've done business with for years and years and see what I could do about adjusting the financing. Uh, My son bought a house in 2004 and uh, the older gentleman he bought the house from whom Older seemed much older back then. Now I'm the same age as that older gentleman that Mike bought the house from back in the day. Um, traded the, the house for a note. Michael, of course, kept his promises, but also invited the man over to the house to talk, went to see him in his house, later bought another house from that same man. The man carried a mortgage for him yet a second time. This year, in the last six months, uh, Mike refinanced a property with that man's niece who wanted secure income. And because there were now two generations with that family, they were happy to make a deal with us. And uh, Michael refinanced the property at 2.3% for 30 years. We need to take that, a, that was that started in 2004. That didn't start last week. We need to take a break. But while 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 everyone is listening to the weather and traffic and sponsors, I want you to and the talking to you listeners. I want you to think about what Pete just said, and I want you to think about how you see other people doing business, and I want you to think about how you maybe are doing business. Are you staying with sellers who have already trusted you enough to allow you to make them payments on their property? Are you sending them Christmas cards? Are you calling them up and saying, hey, 
what's going on in your life? How's it going? Because if you don't, if you weren't, um, affected in the, in the financial part of your brain by that story that he just told about doing business with the same person for over the course of 30 years that started out with an owner finance deal or with a whole family that has been loaning, has been doing deals with his family now for two generations, then you missed it. If you have questions about what you just heard or anything that you want to know from Pete, you can give us a call, 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658, or you can send us an email. Just put it in to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and before I completely forget about it... The Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati is holding its joint meeting tomorrow with Central Ohio Real Estate Entrepreneurs. It is online, so wherever you might be listening from in the whole country, you can, of course, attend, assuming you, you know, know how to use Zoom, which who doesn't at this point. Uh, the, the main speaker is John Heyer. And uh, for those of you who don't know John, he is kind of an expert on all things tax and asset protection related, including self-directed retirement plans, um, LLCs, corporations, everything. And let's just say that John is well known for having a lot of opinions on things and, and not being hesitant to share those opinions. And what he's going to share with us tomorrow night is what his feelings are about what is coming up for all of us real estate folks in terms of tax law changes, i.e., is there still going to be a 1031 exchange a year from now? What are the capital gains rates going to be like a year from now? Is there still going to be such a thing as a Roth IRA a year from now? Uh, what's going to happen with taxation of rentals and interests? So, you know, he doesn't have a crystal ball any more than the rest of us, but he does keep his ear close to the ground about what is being considered. And he has been, trust me, hard at work since November of 2020 in figuring out ways to ha allow his clients to put their things together in, in uh, looking, looking toward if these changes happen, how can we still minimize our taxes and keep as much of our stuff as we possibly can? So how would you get a link to join in that meeting? Same place as always, CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiRIA.com. There's an announcement right on the front page. Click the Here button, get yourself registered, and we'll send you a Zoom link so that you can hear what John has to say and ask your questions of him. So, Pete. Um, well, no one wants to miss that. I, I'm trying to figure out how to make a link for me for tomorrow night. That's I will, great. I will send you one, Pete. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll, in fact, in <laughs> fact, you. I will just, I will just register you right on the thing and it'll send you a link. So, um, the, I bet you have 200 more stories very similar to the one that you told before the break about the tenant who lent you money. And sometimes it's going to be a, a seller or a, a colleague or, but it's always built around relationships where you made a promise, you kept the promise, you kept in touch and you continue to go back to those same people who already trusted you. The thing that 
is worrying me is that we've got listeners who literally have been alive for less than 30 years. And <laughs> you're talking about, I've had a 30-year relationship with this person. What about what about the guy who's like he's he's he he just joined Rhea. He's he's only six months into even educating himself. Can he legitimately build relationships without waiting 30 years? Yeah, you can only do that by starting by caring about other people, finding out what you can do to help. And that's part of uh, what's necessary to be successful at anything. You've got to take care of other people and benefit other people because you benefit to the extent that you benefit others. Now, an example of that, uh, I, I talked with you about this the other day, is I bought a, a triplex back when I was um, – just about graduating from college. So I was around 20 years old. And an old guy in his late 40s had a <laughs> triplex that he was taking care of on his own. And he was just heartbroken because the tenant had left the apartment a mess. And so I did not know the man, but he had a for sale by owner and he was doing an open house on one apartment in his triplex. And I stopped at the triplex and bought it from him. Now, the problem was I was unemployed, and I didn't have any money. And so I made John a promise that I loved his house. I wanted it. He was asking $35,000. Now, remember, this is 1970, $35,000. And I was only 35000 short of what it took to buy the house. He had a first mortgage on the house, on the triplex, of $23,000 owed to the Beverly Cooperative Bank. So now 23000 is already on the building. So I'm only $12,000 light. So I promised that I would pay him $12,000 at 8%, payable $150 a month until paid. So now he agreed to do that as long as the banker that had made him the first mortgage would okay it because he didn't want to betray his relationship with the banker who was his friend and who financed a lot of properties for him. So I bought that property from John. The bank okayed my assuming a loan, which made a giant impression on me because when I was 20 and I was worth almost $10,000, I was being asked to guarantee the loan of the guy who was a millionaire. And that made a big impression on me when I was 20. Um, and I just said, where do I sign? And I assumed that debt. Um, I then had to find someone to pay that debt and to pay the property taxes and to pay the maintenance and to pay the note I promised John. So that meant I had to find some good tenants and put them in the house. And I did that. Now, that was 1970 in June of 2000, John passed away. When he passed away, he and I had done 27 transactions. His son-in-law and I have done four transactions. The banker he introduced me to had financed several deals for me and sent me enormous number of referrals. Well, I was a 20-year-old unemployed college student buying my fourth property. When I met John, who was a guy who was fed up with people not taking care of his property, 
and solving that management issue for him was something that I could do because when I was 20, I was still optimistic. I'm sorry. So I'm, when I made, I'm, I'm, I, I got dumbstruck. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> silence isn't great on live radio. People go, oh, my gosh, did I lose the station? But I, I literally I was taking notes and... It, it looks, it looks like uh thirty one plus whatever the banker did with you transactions came out of you walking into an open house. Well, there was a lot more than that because I can't count the number of referrals that John sent to me. Um, then what happened is a year later, because I pay attention, I went back to him and said, "Gee, it seems a shame that you should be putting up with the." management of all these other places and so as a fee manager because i had a license back then i took over the management of all of his duplexes triplexes and fourplexes which gave me more predictable income than i'd ever had in my life when i was 22 because i was getting 10 percent of all those rents and so i earned income by solving the management problem extended for him then I exchanged his small triplexes and fourplexes into a brand new big apartment building where he had one place uh, in a great neighborhood and he traded up and I earned a commission on that. And then the, the builder who built the apartment building didn't want one of the duplexes. So I bought the duplex really cheap from the builder who didn't want to take on a duplex. And then when I moved to Florida, uh, John sent me a check for $15,000 and said, have fun in Florida, buy something good, and we'll split it. And you were 20 when and all this started. When it started, yeah. But I, was, <laughs> I was 35 by the time I moved to Florida. And um, he sent that check, and I sent him a letter and said, now, this is what I understand. This is our agreement. Uh, I'll, bo- I'll go buy something. And I know you said 50-50, but you get your money back first, and then we'll split it. And so I then went out and bought a house with 7000 of that 15000 Use 7000 down, got the seller to carry $40,000 at 400 a month with no interest, took subject to a $23,000 VA loan. Then I called Dennis Kelsch, who was a very good friend of mine, who was a really good manager, and I gave him half of my half to do all the work. So John put in all the money. Dennis did all the work. The tenants made all the payments. And I got 25% of the house. Now, when I was 20 years old, I wouldn't have given away 25% or half of my half of that deal for the management. But when I was 35 and I had the kids, I wanted to spend more time with Gene and the kids. And so it was worth giving up the management. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we need we need to have a little lesson in PTEs here because you you started this whole story by saying it's all about caring about the other person. Can you explain when you say when you say I care about my sellers, I care about my allies, I care about what does that mean exactly? What is it you're you're not you're not, you know, going over to their house and drinking wine and hugging them? What? <laughs> no, and I also don't send them Christmas cards and, 
and birthday cards. I send them envelopes with checks in them, and they like those much better than a Christmas card or a birthday card. Uh, but uh, what happens is you're successful, certainly as a capitalist, and I think successful in life, because you make other people's lives better. And so if someone is thinking about or threatening to sell a house, that means something has dramatically changed in their life. And so that's why, I mean, so many people know that I, I ask people right away, why would you sell a nice house like this? And when I ask that question, often I get an answer like, well, we got a job out of town. Well, that makes some sense. So then I write an offer to them. That offer is usually not acceptable. What it is, it's an offer in order to discover what really is going on. And they say, well, no, we can't do that. Well, why can't you do that? I'll take the house right now. And they say, well, I need a moving van to get me to Philadelphia. And so my offer of discovery gets me more information. I, I say to people, I'd like to see if I can help. That's not the least bit threatening. Now, as I talk with them, I will try to create a solution for them that has benefits for them, and that will be very different one person from another. Um, another example is I bought an old house uh, that a woman had lived in since 1953. She raised her family there. The house was old and run down and cheap. It was beyond her ability to take care of it any longer. And it's in a great neighborhood, just which is what I prefer, a really, really, really good neighborhood. And so I bought that house from her for $261,000. She had an offer for much more money, all cash, from a builder. The builder was going to tear down her house and build on that beautiful lot. I was going to fix up the house and keep it so that the tenant who went moved into that house could buy that beautiful lot for me. The fact that I wasn't going to tear down her house was of great value to her. And I found that out by listening to her, by asking her questions, by making an offer and seeing what was going to happen. And that happens all the time. At McDonald's this morning, we were talking about two of our friends who each put, now these are old people, like 70 years old, like, like I am now, and they each put reverse mortgages on their houses. And let's just, for, for an example, say they, they borrowed $200,000 with no payments but interest accruing, and so they're living in the house with no payments except taxes and insurance and utilities. One of them took that money and has been making loans and making loans at an average of 9%. And so he has been making $1,500 a month, keeping his money invested in mortgages, notes. The other friend, she used the money to buy six houses. Those six houses produced $1,000 a month when she made the deal. 
but they're now producing over 2200 a month. And because of the inflation hedge that, that real estate has, she's doing better yet. The important thing was they both did something on purpose to make their lives better. I advise both of them to become real estate investors or to continue to be real estate investors is really a more accurate way. One of them chose to do the notes. When I speak with them, and I speak with them every week, I never fail to explain what a giant mistake it was for the one who bought the notes, invested in the notes, rather than the one who invested in the real estate. But we're talking all of the time. As a result of those discussions, I get referrals. I get other people who know them, who know that their lives are better off because they talked with me and they believe that their lives are better off because I care enough to pay attention and encourage them to take action. So I'm going to try and I'm going to try and define in like one paragraph what I think you mean when you say the most important thing you can do is care about people and you just tell me where I'm wrong, okay? I sure. think I think in Pete world when 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 you hear you have to care about people, what that means is you have to ignore the property until you have found out enough about them and their life situation to be able to put something on the table as an offer that meaningfully addresses whatever their problem is. And then if they say no, which I don't know, in my life, 19 out of 20 people say no, yep. not just walk away and say I lost, but say why not? Exactly. So, why? I'd like to see if I can help. Why doesn't this work for you? You told me that you really wanted a smaller place. I'm offering you this really nice 240-square-foot studio apartment. And they say, well, smaller is not quite that small. I said, well, okay. And we go forward from there. I try, I adjust to what they need. Um, I, you know, I talk all the time about the, the older gentleman who had the big house uh and he was going to sell that house because his mortgage payment was thirteen ninety five a month, and with him and his wife having Social Security totaling two thousand, the thirteen ninety five coming off the top before they ate was making it difficult for them. And I traded them my three very weakest, poorest little two bedroom one bath houses. Now none of them are in bad neighborhoods, but cheap little houses, so that they could live in one. And rent the other two so instead of having 1395 out of pocket the two tenants paid the entire debt and they got to live in a little two bedroom one bath and now that was a deal that i did uh 15 years ago do you think they're better off to have three houses that they've had for the last 15 years rather than just sell that, that house mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so that's what's happening people act because they want to better themselves uh, in 1968, I took a course on uh, tax avoidance and tax structures to help people uh, minimize the amount of their capital that the government stole from them. And so back then, I was earning $4,000 a year. So I was not taking that tax course to shelter my $4,000 income. I was taking that tax course so when I met someone, 
who had substantial taxable income or a major capital gain, I could help them structure. I could enable them to do a 1031 exchange. I could help them with an installment sale. And by benefiting them by the taxes that I learned, I was able to earn a place for me, a profit for me, an income for me. I was able to live above my means. And that just always comes back to people are very different. And so what solves one person's problem is very different than what satisfies another person. So listeners, you just heard something that I'm not sure you knew you heard. So we're we're going to take another break and you're going to have another moment of Pete Zen while we're on this break. You're going to, you're going to contemplate this question. Pete said, caring about people is number one, but he also said something else that you knew investors should be paying attention to, which is there's caring about what the problem is. And then there's also knowing how to solve the problem. So if you are a brand new investor and you say, well, I can care, but I wouldn't have known to trade that person three houses for one house. And I wouldn't, I don't have three houses to trade them anyway. What is your next job? If your thought, if your thought is I can't do this because I don't know what Pete knows and I don't have what Pete has, what is your next job? Email me the answer at askvina at gmail.com. If you've got questions, give us a call at 877-772-9658. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Pete Fortunato. And Pete, I am I happen to be aware that around the 21st and 22nd of August, you are going to be in Ohio, potentially looking at some business opportunities. And that during that time... You might find yourself at the at the Doubletree in Worthington, Ohio, in a classroom, talking to some of your friends for a couple of days about how yeah. to put together deals like this, and that people might be able to find out how to be one of those friends by going to CincinnatiRia.com. And I also heard I also heard a rumor that uh, I don't think you know about, which is that. Uh, because we were slow in letting people know about that class, which is, by the way, called Deals Without Dollars, uh, Cincinnati Rhea is running a one-day, a one-day rollback on the tuition to that. Because we kind of forgot to tell people you were coming, although almost 100 signed up anyway. And uh, so the, the price went up on July 1st, and we've you know, people are who are just now hearing about it are going, why couldn't I pay that price from June? And so for one day, we're letting them pay the price for June. And they could find out more about that at CincinnatiRia.com. We have a bunch of questions and comments from listeners here that I would... Okay, before we go to that, can we, I just talk about for a moment what you just asked me about. What happens when you get a starter who doesn't have three houses? Absolutely. If, if people were, were paying attention, they know that I do have some houses, and they surely know other people in their markets that are in the same situation as me. I would give up three modest houses for one grand house. So if you are a, a starter who's just still at the, I'm going to start, you haven't even started, you're just thinking about starting, this is an opportunity for you 
to find someone who needs to move down, just like Chet and his wife need to move down into less expensive housing and trade them someone else's houses. Mm -hmm. But you need to know that that person would rather have a grand house, one property, instead of three to manage. So in the event you know that, there's a dozen people who, who I see at meetings every day here in, in Pinellas County who would trade three of my houses for a grand house. So now, obviously, subject to inspection, but knowing that I'd like the grand house. So now the problem is you've got the older couple who say, well, We've never been landlords. We don't want to manage. That's where the opportunity is for the starter. You know, if I can have Fortunato trade these three little houses to you, and then I will lease option them so you'll never have any problem. Or I'll move into one of them and live above my means. Or you can move into one of them so you'll have cheaper place to live. But see, so you can get involved without you necessarily having the asset. Mm-hmm. You simply need to know what other people want and then try to help them improve their situation. Because people act to improve their situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a bunch of houses here in Cincinnati that are perfectly good rentals that I just I don't want anymore. And every week on the Cincinnati Re and Co. Rehabs and Wants meeting, I get on and I say, I have these four houses. If somebody wants mm-hmm. to just make me any kind of offer on them, I, I would be completely happy to consider that offer. And I finally had somebody offer me $36,000 for a house that I know I could put a sign in the yard tomorrow and sell it for 90 And I took it. I took the $36,000 yeah. offer from an investor because... Mm-hmm. She also offered me the right to buy it back any time for probably the rest of my natural life for $46,000. So I get rid of a house I don't want, but I get to capture all the upside forever yep. on it. So And you'll probably do something with the $30,000. Uh, yeah, I, I, I probably will find something to do with <laughs> yeah. that. And it, and it won't be paying taxes yeah. because I sold it at my basis. And, you know, people, and she's, she's, she's not, uh, well, yeah, she's a starter by your definition because what she's been doing up until now is fixing and flipping houses. So she doesn't, Uh, she doesn't have a lot of rentals. She doesn't started on that. She has a job. She doesn't have any investment. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you gotta, you gotta ask in, in all this time that I've been offering these houses up, nobody has really asked me, why are you selling? What would you like better than these houses? People have tried to make me cash offers and I've turned them down. But yeah. there, so what can what can I trade you for that option? Yeah, we'll talk about I, I that. Okay, we'll we'll talk about that later when you're up here in, when you're up here in Cincinnati looking for deals, and also coincidentally okay. teaching a course that weekend. Um, so let's go to some uh, uh, listener questions because uh, there's a, you got an interesting reputation, Pete. Um, one of Uh-oh. one of them. Uh, came from Kevin, who's up in the Columbus area. He says, so is Pete so used to doing creative deals that he just stays away from, quote, normal deals or tries to turn every normal deal into a creative deal? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's any such thing as a normal deal, but I will tell you, most of my deals start by being a buyer and forcing the issue rather than being a seller and praying that someone will be interested in what I have. 
I have another question here, and I, I'm sorry, I was scrolling up the questions and I lost this one. Robert, and feel free not to answer this one if it's a personal question, <laughs> would like to know what the terms are on the $150,000 you borrowed from your tenant. Okay, 6% interest only, 10 years. I think most of us would be happy to have that loan, and I hope that satisfies whatever curiosity had popped well, up there for you. more important is, what did I borrow the money for? What did you borrow the money for, Pete? To pay off a 3% Wells Fargo loan. And why would you do some, such a stupid thing as that? I don't trust Wells Fargo, and I do trust a person. <laughs> Yeah, you guys, you guys are getting, you guys are getting a clue now, right? About that Pete just thinks differently than everybody else. So I had asked before the break, I had asked the new investors who might have again gotten frustrated because they heard you say, well, you know, I, I, I took a class on taxes and I learned how to make people's uh, tax problems go away and I, and I traded three houses for one house and that they might be thinking, well, I don't have any of that stuff, so how does this do me any good? And I said, tell me what the next thing you should do is. And the first answer I got, I think this is unfair because I asked the new investor, and the first answer I got was from Prentice Yates. Yeah, yeah, good new investor. Yeah, who is is by no stretch of the imagination (laughs) a new investor. And But I liked his answer. He said, join your local RIA and study. Uh Yep, you, yep. You, you you might not have the knowledge now, but do you know people who have the knowledge? Uh, got another answer from Erica that said, "Educate yourself so that you can help someone." Yeah, you don't you don't need to have money. There's you know education's pretty widely available. Go to CincinnatiRia.com and check out everything that's happening there. And then I got an answer from Russell that said. Partner with someone who does know way, know a way to solve X problem, or better yet, partner with Pete. Yeah. <laughs> that was... All right, let me let me give you an outline of the way to attack uh, a state building. It starts with caring. You've got to care. You've got to find out what it is that's motivating people. What's their uncomfortable circumstance? Then you move from there to learning what is the real deal. You make an offer in order to discover what's going on. You learn how to treat taxes. You discover what the taxes are on the property that you're buying, what the rents might be on the property that you're buying, where the people want to go live, whether they have any skills so they might possibly ever have income again as long as they live. So it's caring, learning, then you get to the next part, and some people trip up here, and that's acting. You have to take action. So care, learn, act, and then finally you persist. You acquire property, and yes, there's going to be some difficult times, but you never quit. It's your future we're dealing with here. And so if you'll just keep those four topics, that topic outline will be very helpful for you, I think. Care, learn, act, persist. That is Pete's yep. four-step process to becoming a, an estate builder. And then, of course, ultimately an ender, which is the big goal here. Of course, the way most people are taught out there in the education industry and weirdly in most RIA associations, 
You know, like you, I yeah. I visit a lot of RIAs that aren't my home RIA, and I see this. It's almost like an attitude more than it is a direct teaching. It's just sort of like in the water. The way most people do this is it's find the deal, evaluate the deal, make the offer on the deal, take your no and move on. It's kind of the opposite of it's kind of the opposite of what you're talking about. Like I've seen I mean, you're laughing, but I see I see these um, these forms that are given to people when they buy a course on property acquisition and it's a it's a form where you're supposed to ask sellers questions and there's only like six questions. You know, what's your name? What's your property address? How much do you want for it? Is that the bottom dollar? And how much do you owe? And and that's it. And yep. that's that's not the kind of conversation that you would have with somebody if you cared about them. And and it's not what you're doing is you're it's not helping you to help them cuz you're not getting information that helps you. I, I bought a house subject to a mortgage. It was an institutional, it was a fleet mortgage back in 1995. 10% fleet mortgage. I paid $400 to buy the furniture and took title subject to the mortgage. It was a 10% $40,000 mortgage with a payment of four fifty a month P&I. The house would rent for four fifty a month net. So what that meant was that I could acquire an asset and a tenant could pay for it. That's a good thing. Now, three years later, in 1998, I refinanced with one of my friend's Roth IRAs, and I borrowed $35,000, which is what the then balance was, from my friend's IRA at 8% and paid off the $35,000 balance to fleet, which was at 10%. So I improved both uh, my interest rate and my amortization. I did not improve my cash flow because I was still paying four fifty, but my cash flow improved because rents had gone up. Then in 2003, I refinanced the property with another Roth IRA from a woman who was 52, which meant that she couldn't take money out of her IRA because she was 59 and a half. So she was seven years short of being able to access the money. So I borrowed the then $25,000 balance from her, from her IRA at 8%, but with no payment. And with no payments, my cash flow improved quite a bit. <laughs> it does that, yeah. Then, when she reached 59 and a half, the payments escalated. Of course, the principal balance had also escalated, down near double. And so now I'm back in the 40s again, like where I started. But the payment's $400 a month instead of 450 and the rate's 8%. Then, in 2013... She called me and said, I've got some more money in my IRA, and I want you to borrow it. And so we modified the note, bringing it up to $65,000. And I took the cash from that refinance and bought three more houses in 2014. Then in 2019, she called again and said, I've got more money. I want you to borrow it. 
And at that point, we borrowed the money, taking up to $95,000, and took that money and improved three of our very best houses with new roofs, new kitchens, new windows. So now we've got $150,000 on that one house. I just said $95,000. What happened to get it from 95 to 150 is on Monday, I refinanced that house, paid off Beth's IRA with money from my tenant. And so that's what happens is I've got a $150,000 mortgage on a house I bought for $40,000, but that money was all used purposefully, and the interest that I'm writing is paid for by tenants who are in the houses that I use that money to acquire. And the, the story comes full circle just as we are completely out of time. Uh, <laughs> Pete, thank you. Thank you for your time. want to remind listeners again, if you want to spend some more time with Pete, go to CincinnatiRia.com. Check out the uh, link right at the top of the page. Also, join us tomorrow night for Ask John Hire, CincinnatiRia.com. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. <music>